We have been uh, making our way together through the book of uh, Colossians. We've been joking a little bit about that, the uh, Colossi Christian Church, right? CCC, uh, that uh, rings a bell somewhere with me, CCC, or Countryside Christian Church, right? And so we've been joking a little bit about that. And uh, maybe you remember in uh, chapter 1, chapter 1 of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to them and he says, uh, hey, I've heard of your faith. I've heard about you guys and that you have a, this dynamic faith and that you guys are, um, have this inclusive kind of love. And he was uh, sharing that in chapter 1. Chapter 2, maybe you remember, he says, now there's something I want for you, church. I want for you to have deep roots. I don't want you to follow for uh, fall for hollow philosophy. And then if you were here last week, maybe you remember we talked about lice. Headlights, right? And we talked about rid, rid yourself, rid, rid yourself. And maybe you remember that in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, sexual immorality and idolatry and anger and, and filthy language from your, uh, from your lips and lying to one another. Last week, if you were here, the Apostle Paul was essentially in chapter 3 communicating, there are some things that I do not want you to do. Don't do these things. Rid yourself of them. Don't do these things. We're going to continue in Colossians chapter 3, and uh, today's not so much uh, don't do these things, but do, do these things. And so we're going to talk about uh, those things that we are to do. But before we jump into that, I'm going to ask, let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray one more time. And uh, before we conclude the service today, let's, let's pray and ask God to uh, communicate to our hearts, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Father, you know us, you know the ins and outs of everything that goes on in our mind and our heart. Uh, Father, you know uh, the things that we are concerned about, you know the things that we are anxious about, just like Hannah said. Uh, Father, right now there's a lot of stuff whirling around in our brains, and so we ask, Father, that you would shut all of that down that you would communicate to us. You would help everything else to go away. That you would teach us what you want us to know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to put some pictures up here on the screen. I want you to take a look at these pictures on the screen here. And just kind of look at uh, those people. Kind of look at them. Look at them. And uh, what do we know about them? Well, truth is, we don't know anything about them. But do, do we know anything about them when we just kind of look at them? Does anything come to mind? You know, if I were to ask you a question like, which one of them listens to country music? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe you would, you know, kind of have a thing there. And if I were to say, okay, which one is most likely to know some doctors? You know, kind of look at those. Maybe you draw some conclusions about them. Uh, who's most likely to listen to rap music? Maybe you'd look at those and you wouldn't know. Maybe you'd look at some of those and say, oh, yeah, those guys, right? And maybe you'd have some conclusions about, it's okay, which one's got the motorcycle, okay? Maybe you'd say that, you know, maybe maybe you'd say, well, they all might. But uh, genuinely, when you look at all of those things, uh, probably you're drawing in your mind some conclusions, uh, whether right or wrong, you know, you're looking at them and, and we do that. We do that. We look at people and we say, oh, I, I think I kind of understand who they are a little bit, right? Uh, would you agree with that or disagree with that? All right. Okay, here we go. Uh, good enough. We can move off of that picture. Who cares why we do that? I don't know. But uh, let's get to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're just picking up right where we left off. Colossians chapter 3. We're picking up right where we left off last week, starting with verse 12. And Paul says this, Therefore, Therefore, he's just said all of these things. Get rid of all of this stuff in your life. Take Jesus into your heart. Therefore, he says, I want you to do this. As God's chosen people. Well, you can feel good about that. 
Uh, because if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you have surrendered yourself to Him, if you've been baptized into Christ and you said, I want to be a Christ follower, you are one of the people that is chosen into the kingdom of God. That's who you are. You said, I want to be a Christ. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, the word holy, Greek word hagias, means set apart. You're set apart. You're different than everybody else. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, And dearly loved, he says this, clothe yourself. What's that mean? It means wrap yourself up in. That means put these things on so that when people see you, they might draw some conclusions about who you are. He says, clothe yourself with, and then he says this, compassion. Compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion. Compassion's a hard one. Compassion's a tricky one. I mean, just like was mentioned earlier by Teresa at the beginning, the world, you know, you turn on the news, it's like there's groups out there of people, we don't want to have compassion for them. But there's other groups, it's like, oh, they deserve compassion. And uh, uh, those things get kind of thrust upon us, and they're caused to bring a division into our culture and into our community. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, do I have compassion on everybody? Do, uh, do I do that? And it says compassion and kindness, kindness, and, and not outrage. We're not supposed to have outrage. Uh, I need to be a better de-escalator. I'm pretty good at riding the escalator up towards outrage. I can watch something on the news. And then uh, my wife, um, bless her heart, she has to listen to me give this speech. You know, I can't say it out loud to anybody else about why that's wrong or why that's right. And, you know, and no good thing nobody else does that, right? Um, because we have these opinions, strong opinions about these things. But uh, he, says have, he says have kindness, kindness, not outrage. Maybe be a de-escalator of outrage and not an escalator of outrage. He says, have compassion and kindness. Humility. Humility. It means some of the issues out there cannot be solved in a one-sentence kind of a platform. Uh, humility. Have humility. Be humble. Uh, you know, I, I can say kind of out loud in this room, it might sound really weird, but... The reality is I have no idea what it is to be a black man. I don't know what that's like. But uh, I can't imagine what it would be like to just be kind of driving down a road and, and you feel like the only reason this cop's pulling me over is because I'm a black man. I don't know what that's like. And so I need to have more empathy and I need to have more humility and I need to know I don't know uh, the other side. There's weird stuff that goes on in America that I don't understand. Are you familiar with DACA? DACA, there's, there's, uh, um, there are the, uh, the children of the immigrants that have come here. Uh, I'm not an illegal alien. You know what I mean? I am a, I'm a, I'm a citizen of America. Um, but here's what I do know. I do know that uh, there are families uh, that are in other countries and their country is impoverished and it's broken. And so uh, they see America as a land of opportunity. And so there are good reasons to come to America. There's bad reasons to come to America, but there there are people that come to America illegally because they want better for their family. Those, those people do exist in America. That's why they came. And they brought their little kids with them when they came. And now their little kids have been here for a long time and, and they've grown up and now they're 25 years old and they're not citizens of America, but it's the only place they ever grew up in. And then, then you got people on both sides of the camp. Some of the people say, uh, scoop them all up, round them all up and send them back to wherever they came from. And you got people on the other side of the camp say, no, we should find a pathway to citizenship for them. These things are tough. 
They're not one-sentence kind of things. And Paul says, hey, when people look at you, are you wrapped up in, in humility and in kindness and, and, and you know, compassion for people? And, and then he goes on, he says, and gentleness and patience, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Why? Why do I need to forgive them? Why can't I be outraged at them? I mean, after all, if the guy would have just done what he was supposed to do, he wouldn't be in that situation. And forgive, uh uh-oh, why? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, I have never done anything wrong. Oh, wait a minute. No, that, that doesn't quite work, does it? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, like a giant overcoat, like a giant overcoat, big fluffy, a big fluffy fur coat, put over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Question. How do people respond like the pictures when they see you? What conclusions might they come to as to the way you are wrapped up, clothed in, wearing? What kind of conclusion would they come to when they encounter you? Would they sit back and go, oh, I know who that is. I identify that in them, what conclusion would they come? And, and now listen, not, not your, uh, maybe, maybe some of you are on social media, and uh, maybe you know, uh, if, you, if you haven't figured this out yet, it's kind of fun. Social media can be kind of fun because I can present myself, there's an old country song about that, I can present myself on social media in a way that I can make myself look really, really good. I only post the coolest pictures about myself or the most exciting places that uh, maybe I've ever been or, you know, the most fun things that I've done and the pictures that the way I expose my family to the world through social media I can kind of filter all of that stuff and I can put I can put that me out there and then there's other me's that I can put out there uh, people that maybe you work with or uh, but you don't see them a lot you see them infrequently and and for brief little periods of time and so uh, you can present yourself to them in a certain way but how, how but what about your everyday you your everyday you. Maybe, maybe the way your, your kids know you, or maybe the way some of your closest co-workers know you. How would they say that you have clothed yourself? What would they say? How have you clothed yourself? How is the compassion and the kindness and the gentleness revealing itself there? Well, here's the truth. Welcome to church. Raise your hand if you're in church today. All right, there we go. Just checking. Uh, at church, at church, church, this should be the easiest place for you to be clothed in all of those things that the Apostle Paul wants us to be clothed in. I mean, we know each other, right? Uh, we, we know. We, we are the saved ones. Uh, there's those people out there that they're not saved. And we have all of the answers, right? And those people out there, they need to know the answers that we know. And we know that there's a Savior, Jesus. And we know that the Apostle Paul says that we are to smile when you're at church. It used to be we used to even shake hands at church. But now we don't, you know. And now we, we show respect by wearing, you know, we cover our face. And, and you know, 
in some ways, maybe that is a blessing to other people. But, uh, but you know, we come to church and we're supposed to be very kind and loving with one another. And this is the place where we can, we can be maybe in Sunday school on Sunday morning back in the day, you know, maybe we'll get that started up again, or we can sit and we can kind of uh, talk and we can even share, you know, I had a hard time this week and, and we can, uh, we can be more compassionate and kindness and, and church is, this is church. We're in church this morning. Church would be a safe, safe. When I, I used to, I used to go to college a long time ago. And when I was in college, uh, something interesting would happen. Uh, they would give us tests at college, and uh, in college, right? You, you have tests there. Uh, hang on, Hannah. Just like high school, your tests are coming. Here's the, but some of those tests are big deal, right? I mean, your entire grade, pass, fail, is on this big whopper of a test over here. And so if there was going to be a giant uh, test on Friday, and we knew there was going to be a giant test on Friday, and it was worth half of the points in your entire class, and you needed to know this one. And uh, so what would we do? Uh, we would get together. We would get together on Thursday night. And, uh, you know, sometimes we half of the class and we'd go into the dorms and there was this kind of room up on the fourth floor of the dorms. It was, and it's kind of, uh, we'd meet up there and uh, we would bring junk food and we'd bring caffeinated drinks because we knew we were going to be there all night long because there was a big whopping test that was going on uh, tomorrow. We would laugh and we'd poke at each other and we'd make little three by five cards that we could go through and we'd make little rhymes, you know. Hey, you guys ever have to make a little rhyme to remember, you know, all the little things in order to make sure you had the answers on the test or maybe you make a little ditty or a song and you do all of these things and we would laugh and you'd find out in the group uh, who the really smart ones were and then you'd find out in the ones that you know I was in that other group and then you know we'd kind of get together there and uh, we were in the super super smart group and and uh, you know we you get in there and you'd laugh and you'd just be there together and it's fun because you knew you knew this big giant test was coming guess what write this down church on Sunday morning Sunday morning is study hall. Sunday morning is when we come together and we lean on each other. We challenge each other. Do you know it? Do you have it worked out? Have you figured it out yet? Do you know that we are to be clothed in compassion and kindness? And that's when we come here. It's supposed to be a non-pressure. There's no real uh, points rewarded at the end of study hall. It's a time that we just make sure we've got the information down. Because Monday, Sunday, Sunday is study hall. And then Paul continues, Paul continues, and he says this. Colossians 3, verse 15 to 22. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, here we are, we are the body, we're in the class together, we're taking the life class together, we're moving through life together, we are the study hall group, and we come here and we study uh, together, that's who we are. Uh, you were called to peace and to be thankful. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish. You teach each other. You, you kind of say, hey, you know, got the three by five card ready? You know what we're supposed to be doing, right? And you, and, you, and you admonish one another. What does it mean to admonish one another? It means that you would rebuke each other or you would give advisement to one another. This is study hall. He says, oh, you do this for one another. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Biblical wisdom. Have Having a biblical worldview. And as you sing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
That's what this is. We come together and we sing songs and maybe you challenge each other with things like this. Go eat popcorn, right? Uh, you, ever, you ever learned that one? Go eat popcorn. What's that for? You guys know go eat popcorn? That's when you're memorizing the books of the Bible, right? And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Ah, yeah, maybe my wife taught me that back in the day, right? And so maybe you learn things like that. Um, everybody knows what verse, that maybe you don't, maybe you don't. This is one that I learned. And so you, you tell me if you know what book, chapter, and verse this is. Book, chapter, and verse. Forgive me, but I, I, I learned this one in Bible camp. Beloved, let us love one another. For love, for everyone, no, wait, 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 beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. John 4, 7, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. See, that's how I learned 1 John 4, 7, and 8. It got turned into a song. got turned into a song, right? And some of you guys are like, yeah. And some of you guys are like, I didn't like that song. So I'll sing it for you again later. <laughs> just, just, no, no, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. Um, but here's, but so you come together. Church is study hall. Sunday is study hall. Write this down. Monday Monday is the test. Monday, Monday is the test. We come together, and then we start tomorrow. And then Paul says this in verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, Him. He says this, I want you to know the material that's going to be on the test. In fact, here is where you are going to be tested. He says, I want you to understand, Sunday you get together and sing songs and you challenge each other and rebuke one another and admonish one another and you get together and study on Sunday, but Monday is the test and here is where you're going to be tested. This is whether you Mark the box, I got the answer right, or I got the answer wrong. And then he lists it all in verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. He just says, here's the testing material. Write this one down. Uh, Number one, verse 18, verse 18, wives. Write down the word wives. That's the testing ground. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. He starts off and he says this, there is going to be a test on whether or not you are clothed. And the first people that we are going to ask as to the way you are clothed is not going to be your social media people. And it's not going to be those casual acquaintance people. But come test day on Monday, the closest, most intimate relationship that you you have in your entire world, that person is going to be the one that looks at you and says, am I really clothed the way that Jesus wants me to be clothed? Wives, submit to your husbands as a fitting to the Lord. Now we know, uh, hopefully you know, uh, Paul tells uh, husbands, he says that you are to uh, give your entire life to Jesus Christ and live for Jesus and be a godly, godly, godly person. And then when you live that way, it'll be easy for your wife to come along beside you 
and submit to your authority and, and to seek your counsel and advice. As you kind of look at her and say, you know what, I'm not very good at some of this stuff. I want to know what you got to say about this too. And you live your lives together. But listen, because Proverbs says this, chapter 27, verse 15. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Ouch. Ouch. Proverbs 21 says this, verse 9. Better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And so, wives, you have to ask yourself, am I wearing a giant, big, fluffy coat and my husband sees me as... or not? Because there's a test. One thing here, we come, we be nice. Sunday is study hall. Monday is test day. He doesn't just say wives. He says, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Here's what we know. That intimate relationship between a husband and a wife is to reflect that you have clothed yourselves and that you have forgiven one another and that you are patient and you are humble with one another and that your lives are to come together. They're to come together in love, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, being kind to one another. That's test day. Amen? That's test day. It's one thing to come here. It's another thing when you go home, your lives need to be woven together in Scripture. Now, here's what we know. It's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. I have news for you. I don't know if you guys realize this, but men and women are different. <laughs> They're different. And uh, just, I want you to watch this. This I put this in here. Just It's just fun. And just kind of, hopefully it'll not make you cry. I've been married 32 years, and uh, I got, my father gave me one really wise piece of advice before I got married. And it's held true for 32 years. On my wedding day, my father said to me, before you argue with your new wife, and you're going to argue with her, before you do, take some time, step back, ask yourself two questions. Do you want to be right, or do you want to be happy? <laughs> right. And then he broke down and sobbed right in front of me. <laughs> I had no idea what that man was talking about. 32 years later, I can tell you this. I'm a happy, happy, happy man. <laughs> I ain't been right in 12 years now. Sometimes I even have to ask her, am I happy? Oh, you better believe you're happy. <laughs> I was just checking with you, buttercup. <laughs> Call my friends up. I can't go golfing, but I'm a happy, happy, happy man. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, we argue. You've got to argue in your marriage. You don't argue in your marriage, it'll build up in your brain over time and fries your brain. Yeah, and then you wind up like those babbling, mumbling couples you've seen in Arizona, Florida. These 50 plus years of marriage, they're kind of walking down the street. The wife is fine. It's the poor husband eight feet behind her that scares me to death. This poor man's all hunched over. He's vibrating, mumbling. Always telling me what to do. Start telling you what to do. I'm a man. You can't tell. I'm a man. I'm a man. This poor guy's starting to try to win back all the arguments he's been throwing away for 50 years. 
You know he was 6'3 when he got married. Now he's four foot one. Look at the poor man. Weighed down by half a century of apathy. Leave a toilet seat up if I want to leave a toilet seat up. Tell me what to do. I hope you sit in the water every night. I don't care. And that's when she turns around. What'd you just say to me? I didn't say nothing. to learn how to communicate that's the word communication you have to learn how your spouse communicates that takes time men and women communicate differently it took me two years of marriage to figure out my wife will never tell me to do anything around our home if tammy wants me to do something she'll ask me a question it's from the question that i got to stand there and figure out what it is she wants me to do simple example say i leave a pair of my underwear in the middle of the bedroom floor which frosts my wife that's her word when she's angry. That just frosts me, Jeffrey. <laughs> if I'm not frosting her, I'm driving her up a wall. That's another one. Kids would come in. Where's mom? She's up the wall with frostbite. That's all I know. <laughs> you won't believe what put her there, man. It was that pair of underwear in the middle of the bedroom. <laughs> You're looking at the most powerful piece of cotton on planet Earth. <laughs> so I leave my underwear in the middle of the room. Would she come to me and say to me, pick those up? That's three words. Hey, pick those up. Three words! Would she say no? Because that would be simple, direct, and right to the point. And at that moment, we would be communicating at the highest human level. The way God the Creator intended it, through language. She looks at me, looks at my underwear, and then asks, Are those yours? I sure hope they are, otherwise I got a few questions of my own. What do you want? That's the only question a man has for his wife. What do you want? Quit talking in code and tell me what you want. My favorite question, we weren't married two months. I'm leaving the house. I got golf clubs on my shoulder, got golf shoes in my hand, and everybody knows what she asked me. Where are you going? I was only married a couple months. I didn't know any better. I looked at I'm going bowling, Columbo. If you're taking notes, that would be the wrong answer. An hour later, I was still in my living room. Come on, tell me, what is this about? Please, let me know. Please. I can make the back nine. Just let me know. It's about knowing the right answer. That's why. Why your beautiful, intelligent wife would ask such a banal question. I know better today. If I'm leaving the house with golf clubs on my shoulder today and Tammy says, where are you going? We'll put these in the car, baby. I'm going to come back and mow our lawn. That's <laughs> Just practicing leaving for golf. <laughs> so, the truth is men and women are different. And we need to honor that. We need to understand that God created men and women different and that we laugh and ultimately we know that we complement one another. It's kind of sad that our culture doesn't understand that today and they're trying to make people non-binary and remove that from them. And we need to be a people that stand up and value the differences between men and women and that we need to be husbands that honor our wives and wives that honor husbands. And we need to live out our faith that way. Sunday morning, 
study hall. Monday is test day. And Paul says, there's a place that you're going to have to live out your being clothed with compassion and kindness. And it's going to start in your home with that first relationship between the husband and the wife. And then he expands that to the next level. And that's with the children. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents. In everything for this pleases God. That means children obey parents not because they can take away the phone, not because they can turn off the Wi-Fi, not because they can send you to your room. It says children obey parents because it pleases God. Children obey parents because God told them to. Because God told them to. That's why they obey. They answer to you indirectly, but ultimately they answer to God. And then he says this, fathers, in verse 21, fathers, and the word there is gender neutral in the Greek, which means ultimately is he's communicating parents, parents, mom and dad, parents, parents, he's saying, parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Communicate lovingly to your parents Give them an answer for why you have them do things. The answer should not be because I said so. And the, in the video, the, I joked about communicating at the highest form of level. It's one thing to come in and just kind of make a statement, you know, what, whose underwear are these or are these underwear are yours? You know, that's not communicating at the highest. You have to communicate at the highest level with your kids too. When they say, why can't I do that? You don't say because I said so, because I'm dad or I'm mom and that's it. That's the only reason you get, explain it to them. Why don't you want them to do this? Give them all of the information. After a while, they're going to roll their eyes at all the information because we were all kids and we know our parents don't know anything. But you give them that information so that when they see their their peers go off kind of astray and do things, uh, maybe some of that begins to click. And you hopefully by the time they're, you know, 23 years old, they're going, hey, you guys, you know, I'm not going to say it really out loud, but you're right, you know. And you, but you communicate that with them. You communicate, you communicate with that. You don't embitter them. You communicate with them. Then he says this. This is an interesting one for today. Slaves, slaves, so slaves. Well, we know, scholars tell us, that in the first century, when Jesus was alive, uh, when Paul was uh, there in prison in Rome and he was writing to the church at, at Colossae, CCC, when he was writing to them, uh, we know that at that time, about one-third of the entire workforce were slaves. And when we think of slaves, we think of the transatlantic uh, slavery, you know, bringing uh, Africans to America and forcing them into labor. Uh, they had never seen anything like that in, in their time. That's not what they were talking about. And when we think of slavery, maybe we think about uh, children in China in a workforce. Maybe you think about something uh, like that. Or maybe you think about sex trafficking or child labor or those kinds of things. But those, that's not the context here. This was written in the first century when there was about a third of the workforce were indentured slaves and what we would think apprentice. They were apprentices. Uh, we would also think about um, uh, the way that the economy worked then is if uh, you were a wealthy landowner and I wanted an acre of land, I might come to you and say, I have got no cash in my pockets, I'm flat broke, but I would like to acquire an acre of land from you. And he'd kind of go to the book and he'd say, an acre of land is worth five years of labor. And so you're going to work for me for the next five years. At the end of that, uh, you get the acre of land. And so it would be that kind of a thing. It would be indentured servant. It would be apprentices and that kind of thing. And so the word that we would want to insert there when uh, Paul opens up with verse 22, the word slaves, we would want to put in the word employees, employers, employees, employers. That's the relationship. Employees, obey. Now look at this. 
Sunday is study hall. Monday is test day. Where does it start? It starts in the home with the relationship between the husband and the wife. And then it goes into that secondary relationship between the parents and their children. And then after that, he moves it outside of the home and goes into the... What would the people at work say about you? How have you clothed yourself at work? Too often it's easy for people to go to work and that becomes their kingdom where they want to reign and come home and everything falls apart in the home. That is not the order. He says, employees. He says, obey your earthly master. That would be your employer. Even if you're an employer, this is the relationship that you want to have in everything that you do. Not only when their eyes, when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart. Why? And reverence for the Lord. You don't work for your employer. You work for the Lord. You don't work for your employer. Jesus wants you to do a good job when you show up to work. That's why you do. That's why it doesn't matter if your boss stinks. You don't work for them. You work for the Lord. And you ask for kindness and humility and that you would be clothed because there is a test. Because there is a test. There is a test. Nofel Staten was a... uh, I used to be the president of Pacific Christian College where I went to school out west. And he would tell this story at the end of a lot of his uh, sermons that he would preach. But back in World War II, uh, there was a, uh, a private that uh, uh, was drafted into the, uh, into the services. And he uh, went off and uh, he was a sailor and went off and did a tour of duty and went through, you know, the boot camp and all of those things and, I went all around the world and was in the Pacific Theater during the war. And as uh, he first made his way off of the shores, he signed up to be a part of a, uh, a pen pal service to people that were uh, back in the States. And sure enough, he started corresponding with a lady as he was uh, out in, uh, in, the, in the ship and in, uh, in the Pacific Theater and writing to her. And, and she would write back to him. And they uh, wrote back and forth for, uh, for several weeks. And then weeks turned into months. And uh, they began to share their hearts and their uh, desires and their future and their, and their goals. And, and they began to compare notes over and over and over again. And they realized how similar they were to one another. And they began to grow in appreciation. And, and ultimately, they communicated that they really loved the person that the other one was. And as that began to develop, the, uh, the private, he wrote back to her as she was stateside and said, would you please send me a picture so that I might know exactly who I am writing to? And that made her uncomfortable. She wrote him back and said, I'm really not comfortable sending you a picture. I'm concerned that that would cloud up our relationship. And I would love to just continue to correspond with you and share our hearts with one another. And he agreed. And as his tour of duty began to wind down, he made his way back to the States, and they continued to write until the day came when he invited her to come to his town that they might be able to meet each other and he would be able to introduce her to his folks and things along those lines. And he'd still never had a picture of her. And so she wrote back and said, here's what we're going to do. He says, I want you to go down to the train station and I want you to have a red rose. And when I get off of the train, I am going to have a red rose. 
And so when we, when I step off of the train, then you'll begin to have an idea of exactly who I am. Finally, the day came, and with great anticipation, he made his way down to the train station, and he could hear the whistle blow off in a distance and the rumble of the train, and it pulls into the train station, and it stops, and the doors open, and people begin to file out. And all of a sudden, this lady steps out of the train, and she is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, and she's wearing this bright red dress, and she walks right up to him and looks him in the eye and says, Go in my way, sailor. But she didn't have a red rose. And he took a double take and looked at her and looked at the rose and just clung to it and let her pass on by. And he stood and watched as more and more people entered, uh, made their way off of the train and Finally, a lady made her way off the train, and she was carrying a red rose. And he looked at her, and she was a little bit older than he thought she might be. And she looked like she was quite worn from the travel and kind of wrinkled up. And she made her way off the train, and he made his way up to her and said, It is my pleasure and my honor to meet you. I have looked forward to this for so long. And he held up his rose. She held up her rose and looked him in the eye and said, I'm not sure exactly what this is all about. But a little while ago, there was a lady that handed me this rose. And she said, if somebody approaches you and has a rose in his hand, will you please Point him out to me, young man. She's right over there against the wall. She's wearing a bright red dress. There's a test. There's a test. There's a test for all of us. There's this test. How do we clothe ourselves? How do people see us? What do they know about us? We are to go through life clothed in compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness. We are to be a people of self-control in our homes first and then out in the world. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we are to know that our sins are forgiven, that we are made new, and that we have the Holy Spirit within us, and that we are empowered to live the way that the Apostle Paul calls us to live. We can do that. Here's what I need to know. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you? Have you been baptized in the Christ? If that's something that you need to do, if you need to give your life to Christ, we can talk about that. I would love to have that conversation with you. If you already know Christ, clothe yourself and live for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul and his communication to us. We need your help, Father. Help us to be the people you call us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.